Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I'm Victoria Holmes. And I'm Emily Severidge. And welcome to What What the Politics, a new segment from WNCT designed for you. We want listeners to feel free to explore political topics and voice their opinion on issues that matter. Here on What the Politics, we will be inviting experts in the field, local government leaders, and and you, the American voter, to join us as we navigate the political arena. This will be a place for civil discussion, because at the end of the day, we are all working towards the same goals, a better country, a brighter future, and the return of courtesy to political discourse. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or you can simply download the WNCT app and find our podcast under the WNCT Now tab. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this segment of What the Politics. I'm Emily here, and I have Victoria as well in the studio. And today's topic is going to be about civil participation, um, getting into protest, voting, just really um, being involved in in civic activities. Um, So like always, like every one of our podcasts, we're going to start out with a quote, and I'm going to let Victoria take it over with that quote. Yes, so today's quote is, you're getting to, or excuse me, today's quote is, you're going to pay a price for everything you do and everything you do not do. You do not get to choose to not pay a price. You get to choose which poison you're going to take. That's it. And that's by Jordan Peterson, who is a professor from Canada. And he's also um, pretty popular for some of his books from the past two years called The 12 Rules for Life. And so first we're going, before we get into that quote, we're going to introduce our guest. And our guest today is from Duke University, from the Sanford School of Public Policy, Mr. Asher Hildebrand. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yes. So can you tell our guests what you do at the Sanford School and also a little bit about yourself? Of course. So uh, I am what's called a professor of the practice at the Sanford School, which means I don't come from an academic background. Uh, In fact, most of my career, I've worked in politics, uh, mostly in the United States Congress, where I worked for Congressman David Price, who represents North Carolina's 4th District. I've also uh, spent time on political campaigns, including President Obama's re-election campaign and others. Uh, and now I, my job is to uh, teach students, especially in uh, our graduate programs, uh, about how things really are out there in the world of politics, uh, hopefully complementing some of the stuff they're learning from other faculty about how things are supposed to be. And uh, it's, a, it's a great job uh, and, and a privilege to, to get to work with some bright, uh, idealistic future leaders um, and uh, also not a terrible time to not be Uh, in the thick of politics right now. Right. And so I am going to um, re-say the quote, and then we can get Mm -hmm. your thoughts on that and then just move forward from there. So the quote says, you're going to pay a price for everything you do and everything you do not do. You do not get to choose not to pay a price. You get to choose which poison you're going to take. That's it. So what do you think of, I know it's a little bit more of a pessimistic view on the, um, 
kind of topic of civic participation, but what is your take on that quote, if you have any? Sure. Well, I'd, I'd say a couple of things. First, uh, I don't agree with a lot of what Jordan Peterson says. I do agree with the basic point that, uh, especially when it comes to voting, the decision not to participate, the decision not to vote is uh, is a choice in its own right that has an impact on the election, right? Because in this country, uh, where uh, in a, a high turnout year, we might have 60% of the electorate voting, um, you know, that that's only representing a small portion uh, of our country and of, of its diversity of views and interests. And so if you're choosing to sit out from that, then you're, you know, you're allowing other voices to be heard and, and for yours not to be. So I agree with that. I think the the caveat to that, of course, is that for so much of our history, um, there have been so many Americans who have been denied the choice to participate through no fault of their own, who have wanted to participate, but because of various legal or structural or uh, economic barriers, they've been unable to. And so uh, it's easy to say, you know, the choice is up to you. And sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's also not. So what are some um, today when it comes to voting as a form of civic participation. Sure. We have seen an increase, especially in this year's election, of requests for ballots. More people are interested in learning how to vote, how to even register to vote. What do you think spurs that movement towards more civic participation? Well, in two words, Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, we are witnessing just a a surge in interest um, really among Trump's supporters as well as his opponents in this particular election. And there's also enthusiasm up and down the ballot, uh, you know, for uh, state legislative candidates, given the, the stakes of, uh, of the race for redistricting, for uh, statewide candidates, given how much of the policymaking now happens at the state level, and then also for, you know, for the, the congressional races um, with the balance of the, the Senate uh, hanging, uh, you know, hanging on the line. And so there, there's a high degree of interest. Uh, a lot of it comes back to Trump, though. Even so, uh, you know, in in, a, uh, in 2016, only about 55 percent of vote, of our voting age population voted. We might see a few points above that this year because of the surge in interest. Um, but it's still going to be at best, you know, around 60 percent of, of voting age Americans participating in the process. And so do you think kind of going more towards the popular vote versus the electoral vote? Mm-hmm. Do you think the amount of votes that happened in last election and the amount of votes that are that is predicted to happen in this election, that popular vote, do you think that has a say or sway towards um, what the outcome could be? Oh, How I much think power it... does that have? Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. I, no, that's okay. I, you know, I think it's there's very little uh, doubt that Vice President Biden will win the popular vote in this election. The question is whether he will also win the Electoral College. And if you think about that statement, it's pretty extraordinary, right? Uh, historically, um, up before the year 2000, there were only three elections in which the uh, candidate uh, who won the presidency did not win the popular vote, right? And since the year 2000, in two of the five presidential elections we've had, that's happened. In other words, the will of the American people has been overturned by the Electoral College. And it's plausible that it could happen again in 2020, right, which would mean three of the last six elections in which that happened. And, uh, you know, know, we can debate the merits of the Electoral College, but from where I sit, 
Um, there's little question that, that that kind of result is out of line with basic democratic principles um, because it denies the will of, of American voters. As for how much sort of independent power the popular vote has, um, well, I think we could ask Hillary Clinton that uh, that question. Right. Uh, unfortunately, very little in our current system. Um, and uh, it doesn't appear that um, that President Trump has um, had any sense of humility from having lost the popular vote. In fact, he's often claimed uh, uh, just uh, incorrectly that that he would have won it for various reasons. And so um, so I don't think it has much much bearing in our current system. Right. So going into the topic of, you know, what's kind of, again, driving people to the polls this year, what kind of policies and what kind of issues that are going on are, are making people say, hey, I really want to get out there and cast my vote. Um, obviously, you know, there's been tons of protests this year. Um, Breonna Taylor, um, you know, George Floyd, um, et cetera, it goes on and on from this year. Um, and, and a lot of those cases people are saying are not getting the correct justice or not, um, you know, people are not being charged in the way they should. So do you think this is definitely a topic that's driving more people's to the more people to the polls this year than ever before when it comes to civil unrest and justice? I don't know that I'd predict more people will go to the polls than ever before this year. Uh, I think for a lot of people, it's been kind of an accumulation of issues, right? Even before uh, the uh, even before the dumpster fire that has been 2020, uh, people were highly motivated uh, uh, both to um, defeat Trump on, on the Democratic side uh, and to check his power. And you saw that very clearly in the 2018 midterm elections, which put Democrats back into in the House majority. Um, and his his core supporters, the, that 40 percent or so of the electorate that has stood with him through everything, has also been highly motivated. And that would have been the case irrespective of 2020. What's happened this year is that uh, there have been this series of just uh, traumatic, high profile national events um, that have brought the stakes of this election into clearer focus. Uh, of course, that includes the uh, coronavirus pandemic. Um, and just the, the sheer mismanagement of the situation by the government. And uh, that, uh, of course, can motivate a lot of people. It has become the defining issue of the election. On the other hand, in terms of voter turnout and participation, uh, the impact is much more mixed because people have very real public health concerns. And because of the way we vote in this country, unfortunately, millions of Americans are going to have to choose between casting their ballot and risking their health, right? Um, so that that's an issue, and then on top of that, of course, the you know, just the the national reckoning that we're going through with questions of longstanding systemic racism and injustice, the, uh, and the broad-based coalitions that came uh, into the streets earlier this summer um, to to protest the killings of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor, and of so many uh, so many others. And, of course, those were not just protests in our big cities. They were happening in suburbs and small towns and everything in between. Uh, you know, a few a few folks standing on a median somewhere in a, in a small town in Kansas, right? And so, um, so I do think uh, that broad-based participation uh, you know, was different from things we've seen before um, and reflected a high level of engagement. But whether it translate that translates in a kind of uh, arithmetic way into turnout in at at the polls. There are just so many factors that at play here. It's awfully tough to predict. 
So besides, when it comes to civic participation, besides voting and besides protests, beyond that, when it comes to actually affecting policy, creating policy, changing policy, how can one citizen here in the United States influence that process? Well, that's a great question. Uh, and I, I know there are a lot of Americans today who are sort of doubting uh, their uh, their efficacy. Uh, you know, the, sometimes we talk about political science, we'll talk about internal efficacy and external efficacy. Internal means, can I figure out how to navigate the system? You know, can I figure this out uh, as a, a citizen in a democracy? And external means, if I figure it out, will it make a difference? Will the system respond um, you know, to, to my efforts. And for various reasons, both of those have come into question. Uh, you know, look at voting, for example, the rules governing voting change so frequently and create so much confusion uh, that a lot of Americans say, well, you know, I, I just can't even navigate that. Um, and that's a problem. Even if those who can, the question of how much difference it will make becomes a problem. And so I, I'm kind of a perpetual optimist. I believe that there are still um, many ways that Americans can make an impact uh, and many avenues to do that, whether it's voting, uh, showing up at a, a protest, but also showing up at a congressional office. You know, I worked for uh, 15 years in Congress and met with countless uh, individual citizens who weren't special interests, weren't lobbyists, weren't, uh, you know, weren't representing any view other than their own, just wanted to meet with their uh, elected re uh, representative, and we were happy to meet with them. Often we got great ideas for legislation from them and uh, drew lots of strength from their advocacy on issues that we cared about as well. Um, so I, I think uh, civic participation is the lifeblood of democracy. I think there are uh, various ways in which it's under threat right now and that that's a huge problem for our, our future. But I, I don't feel like there's an alternative. It just simply has to exist. And if that lifeblood sort of uh, dies out, then we're in a whole lot of trouble. Definitely. Um, I think a lot of that when um, talking about, you know, people don't even really know or go to the smaller, the congressional meetings, the public hearings, things like that, other ways that they can participate um, in civic discussion and things like that. Um, I think a lot of that issue also comes from the fact that people are just not aware of when these things are happening, where they're happening, what the discussion is. It's not really publicized, unfortunately, um, as much, I think, as it used to. Um, and I know, uh, you know, in, in our area, in eastern North Carolina, um, some professors at ECU recently created a website called um, Voter 411 ENC, and it contains, you know, all the information about um, different candidates for every, from everything from the federal to local level, um, in different counties, different, you know, voting sites, all the kind of information you would need immediately in your area. And so I think, um, you know, that's a big part of it. We need to start seeing, um, you know, people in different areas gathering more and more information on this to to display it for the public. Because I feel like a lot of people just really are unaware um, about these activities. Well, that's right. And there, I mean, there are huge issues, uh, long-term trends at, at play here. One is uh, kind of decline in, in the sort of civic education that's provided you know, through our through our school system and and right. coming up in in public life in a community, 
Um, another is the media and the, the state of the media right now, the decline of local coverage. Uh, you know, uh, God bless your news organization and, and the local journalists <laughs> who are still trying to break through that. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the trends in the industry are, are, are pretty dire. And so for the average citizen to, to even know where to go if they want to show up at their local town meeting, let alone to meet with their member of Congress, is a challenge. Then you add on top of that, of course, just the, the rise of uh, social media and the effect that that's had not only on where citizens get their news, but also on the uh, on the uh, truthfulness of the information they're get they're getting, um, you know, and and that's uh, another real uh, danger to civic participation, including voting, is just the the sort of organized and systemic disinformation campaigns that we now see to try to discourage people from having from having that voice from uh, showing up at the polls, um, and so you know if you're if you're uh, uh, I believe that any citizen uh, in this country, you know, has the wherewithal to uh, to petition their government to show up at a protest to vote, of course. But uh, for the average citizen, you know, if you're facing a decline in, in objective sources and information, a rise in uh, biased sources of information and at times disinformation about how to even participate uh, and, uh, you know, uh, a civic education system that isn't equipping you with the skills you need to navigate uh, a democracy, then, you know, there's there's only so much you can do. Right. And so kind of bouncing off the idea of social media trends and, um, you know, fake news and how that's affecting you know, what people are seeing, how they're interpreting, what their opinion is, um, kind of playing into the effect of celebrities' influence on voter participation. Um, you know, I know Michelle Obama and LeBron James, they have um, two two organizations called one called when we all vote and more than a vote and, and it's kind of comprised of black athletes entertainers um and they've they're gonna they're beginning to go around to major cities and ho- uh, generating events um sponsoring you know celebrity appearances things like that to generate excitement for people to get out and vote so do you think when it comes to celebrities you know and people who are you know obviously excluding michelle obama people who are in in the entertainment industry, do those people, is that their place, do you think? There's a lot of controversy over this. Some people say, sure, you know, let them, you know, their fans are fans, they're allowed to say what they want, and others say that is not their place to push their political opinion or engage in that. That's not their place. So what, what's your opinion on that? I would say a few things. First, I, I consider Michelle Obama a celebrity. You know, she's got a successful podcast and all of that. Second, uh, second, you know, I think it's any American's place to speak out on the issues that matter to them, whether they're an athlete or an entertainer or an elected official. And there's certainly no, uh, you know, there's no monopoly on uh, on views on on important issues in the democracy. And Mm -hmm. if someone takes offense to LeBron James or uh, Colin Kaepernick or any other uh, athlete or entertainer speaking out, they can choose to get their entertainment elsewhere. That's their choice too, right? Yeah. And so I, I think it's it's a fundamental right. And then third, I, I would just say that, you know, the type of work LeBron James is doing, for example, where he's simply encouraging broad-based civic participation, in, in, you know, in a yeah. nonpartisan way, you know, that uh, that should absolutely, you know, be 
be encouraged and welcome in a democracy. You know, anything that brings more people into the process um, that, you know, uses his, his platform uh, to, you know, to draw new people in, to, to give people that sense of efficacy that we're talking about, you know, then that, that's something that should be welcomed, frankly, by, by all sides, because it's not even really partisan. It's just about participation. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up this segment of our civic civil participation, excuse me, um, segment for what the politics, um, we really appreciate you coming on and talking with us about this. Um, I think this is a really important topic for people to kind of understand um, the different ways that they can participate in and the different reasons why they should based on, you know, things that are driving them to the polls and, and you know, reasons behind policies that are important to them. So um, we really appreciate you coming on and talking with us for this segment. Um, and we're going to go ahead and wrap it up and join us. Stay tuned for episode five of What the Politics. And we'll see you guys next time. Sounds great. Get out there and vote, everybody. <laughs>